even in the simple moments of everyday life. A lot can be going on that we don't ever notice. But if we'll take the time, the everyday becomes extraordinary as we lean in and look closer. Hello there. It's true, I am in fact Wendy Powell and I am in fact the community outreach pastor here, which means that you are used to seeing me up here when I'm gonna talk about the blessing offering, when we're gonna share what's going on with our community partners, maybe we're talking about the food share and farm ministry, but not today. Today I get to read some Bible with you and I'm pretty excited about it. But first, let me be very honest about how it is that I found my way up here today. A couple of weeks ago, Brian Behrens comes to me and says, hey, Grant's plans have changed. He's heading to North Carolina. Could you fill in and preach in a couple weeks? First thing pops into my head, nope. Nope. No, Lord, I I've seen my calendar in the next couple of weeks, and there are dozens of appointments. I have no idea how I would prepare a message somewhere in there. So I'm going to assume not it. And then right behind that, the next thought. Why in the world are they asking me? There's four or five, maybe 10 other pastors here who are better at teaching than I am. Why don't they pick on them? And then comes the still small voice. You know the one. And it says, take some time. Okay, so I ask Brian, hey, can I get back to you tomorrow? And I go home and I do a bunch of things and then I crawl into bed and I pull out the list of parables and I'm scanning the list and God puts his finger on one. So I open that up and I read it, and guess who I found in the parable, you guys? Me. Funny how he's like that, isn't it? There I am, and not just me today, but me plenty of times in the past. There I am. And this parable brings me face to face with the question I will spend the rest of my time on earth answering, and so will you. That question is, does my life belong to God, or is it mine? And we actually don't answer that question in words. We don't answer that question in praise songs or prayers. We answer it with our lives, our everyday lives. So let's dive in. Matthew 21, I'm going to start at verse 28. This is Jesus speaking. He says, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus, well, let's save that part. The first, they answered. So are we all clear on which one I am in the story? That first son? Nope. Ah, all right, here, here we are. And then there's the father. Obviously God the father, which means he has every right to send us into the vineyard not to suggest that we go, not to invite us into the vineyard, to send us into the vineyard as our father. And then did you notice it's the parable of the two sons, not the two servants or the two slaves, the two sons who will share in the outcome of the work in the vineyard. After all, as kids, it's part of their inheritance. It's also part of ours, as we'll see later. So who's the second son? I'm going to give you a behind-the-scenes example from here at Christ the King. And I'm going to be as gentle as I can because my heart is not to discourage you. It's actually to encourage you. I've been on staff here for 14 years now. 
And if you've been around for a while, you know that especially in our pre-COVID era, we would often give you opportunities to join the ministry around here. Whether it was we could use some greeters, those kids could use some teachers, uh, can you help us with Christmas or Easter? Uh, there would be opportunities for you to sign up. Yep, that's me, I'll help. Did you also know that about 75 to 80% of those who sign up never show up? We plan on about 20% of those ever connecting with us and getting into the vineyard. Now, hundreds of you serve around here, so I don't want to paint a skewed picture. And my point in bringing that up is not to shame you or naughty naughty. It's to say, oh, was there something God was doing there? And then life got in the way? That's what we always wonder. What prompted you that then didn't come around? That might be a missed opportunity, that's all. So let's go back to the parable. I'm going to pick it back up in verse 31. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. Let's start with who is the John that Jesus is mentioning here. It's John the Baptist. He's referring to the first one who was sent by God to point to the kingdom that Jesus was bringing. His primary message throughout his ministry was repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Essentially, he went around Palestine shouting, look, there's a vineyard. There's a vineyard. Look, it's a vineyard all over the place. And that's what we learn from this mention of John, is that the vineyard in our parable is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. Quick point of clarity, sometimes the gospels use the term kingdom of heaven, sometimes kingdom of God, those are the same thing. Those both refer to what Brian Steele always calls the really real kingdom of Jesus. That is here and now, the kingdom has come and will be completed someday, but it is here now. To follow Jesus, it's essential that we understand his kingdom not as a symbol or a metaphor, but as a reality we are invited to join. Now, if that's a new concept for you, or if kingdom of God is sort of one of those Christianese terms that's a little fuzzy for you, if I cornered you in the hallway and asked you what it meant, you'd be like, I don't know, not sure. Then I would really suggest that you have some digging to do, because this isn't a small piece of our faith, guys. It is central. Now, I don't have time to unpack that this morning, although I would love to, so I'm gonna give you the cheat. Brian Steele has written a book called The Kingdom Field Guide. This is a great read that he literally maps out from Old Testament to New. Here is the narrative of the kingdom all throughout scripture and how to find your way into it. It's designed to be done uh, with a buddy or a small group. There's discussion questions. This is worth diving into with someone else so you can process what it is you're learning. I put a link to that on the sermon notes so you can get to that real quick on Amazon. So let's go back. It said, John showed them the way of righteousness. That's what Jesus said. So who's them? For John, it was the same group of people that Jesus is now talking to in this parable. It's the church leaders and community leaders who I think we can assume believed in God and were doing their darndest to follow his laws. So then what did John mean by telling them to repent and believe? I would suggest that he was saying, 
repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, which means lay down your kingdom and pick up his. Lay down your way and surrender to his. Lay down your priorities and serve his. You see, the chief priests had built their kingdoms on rules and on religion, and they held on to these rules so tight that they couldn't tell that the Son of God was standing right in front of them. So this is as good a time as any to remind us all that following Jesus is never, has never, will never be about checking the boxes. Religion, on the other hand, often confuses the means for the end. What do I mean by that? Let me give you some examples. Bible study was never meant to be a have-to. It's actually a get-to know God and recognize his kingdom sooner. Prayer isn't something you check off, did that this morning, it's a chance to hear the voice of the one who loves you most. Serving isn't a duty, it's your opportunity to hang out with Jesus and do what he's doing. Following Jesus, you guys, isn't something you add into your life, it becomes your life. He, Jesus and his kingdom are the thing we wrap our lives around. So I wanna ask you a tough question. Is there any place where you've confused practicing religion with the life of the kingdom? Is it possible that you could be standing right at the edge of the vineyard and not even see it? The thing I love about this parable is that it is for every single one of us. There is literally no one in God's family that isn't being sent into the vineyard. He sends everyone, and he started by sending his son first. You know how Jesus is. He never asks us to do something that he hasn't already done. So God sent Jesus into the vineyard that is this world, this broken world. And ultimately, he paid the price of his life to do that ministry. I'm going to skip over to Matthew 9 real quick, and I'm going to read a quick paragraph that describes the ministry in the vineyard that God sent him into. Matthew 9, verse 35 says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So I'm thinking if Jesus went first and he's still in the field real busy, he has every right to ask us to join him there. And if there was one thing I could get to stick in your brain longer than 10 minutes after you leave here, it would be this one thing. Everyone in God's family is called to ministry. Everyone. Everyone. If you don't believe me, chances are that's because of your understanding of the concept of ministry, kind of what counts in that bucket. Let me give you my working definition of ministry and then see if you can't find yourself inside of that. I would say that ministry is anywhere, anywhere you are partnering with God to meet the needs of others using the resources and ability that God has given you. Anywhere you are partnering with God to be about the needs of others using what God has already placed inside you in your life. 
So I think when we limit ministry to maybe a stricter, simpler definition, we end up missing out on all the places he's already sent us and all the ways he already wants to partner with us in our everyday lives. That brings us to my pile of gloves, ta-da. I brought a bunch of different gloves because I think it's important to point out that there's not one kind of work in the vineyard. There's not one set of tools that's needed. There's not one thing God's asking us to go do for the kingdom. There's actually a whole bunch of jobs and there's one that is perfectly suited to who you are, perfectly. It's how he made you. I'm gonna give you just three random examples of CTKers that I happen to have met with in the last couple of weeks so you can get just a sampling of what different kinds of vineyard work might be. The first is a lady in our church just turned 80. She has plenty of tools. She has a whole stack of gloves from decades of working in the fields with Jesus. But lately she's heard the Lord whispering, are you ready for a new field? So her and I met right before I left on sabbatical and I gave her a couple of community partners to look at, folks to meet with and sort of explore the possibilities. First Sunday I'm back, she comes and finds me and says, hey, guess what I'm doing every Thursday at one? I said, I sure don't know, but I want to. She said, I'm hanging out at the Agape Women's Shelter and I'm sitting down with a group of ladies and we're getting into our Bible and just seeing what, what the Lord has for us. That's her new field, how exciting. And then there's Scott. Scott retired as a professor, took a road trip all around the US for a year, ended up serving for seven weeks actually with Samaritan's Purse, which is a Christian relief, disaster relief organization. He came back fired up, you guys. He wanted to meet about, hey, can CTK take a team with Samaritan's Purse? So we start talking about what that looks like and is that possible? And it becomes clear to both he and I that God's asking him to lead that. When we met last time, he said something that I'm still chuckling about. He said to me, hmm, all right, I've got a lot to learn, but you haven't scared me off yet. That is the posture where Jesus can use us most. I don't know everything, but I'm willing. And then there's Michelle. We went to coffee a few weeks ago, and she told me the sweet story of how God called her and her husband Lorenzo into becoming foster parents. God, that, that was God's idea, not theirs. And there were reasons to and reasons not to, and he answered them all. He's provided a way for them to actually open their home and their family as a place of ministry to other kids. All depends on what you call ministry, I suppose. So if there are hundreds of ways to get into the vineyard, what do you need to know before you go? Most of all, you need to know you're not alone. You are not alone. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians 12. And in this first section, I want you to get your fingers going. Count for me how many times I use the word spirit, which means the Holy Spirit. I'm going to start in verse 4 of chapter 12. It says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good. To one there is given the, through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, another prophecy, another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different languages, and to still another the interpretation of languages. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. 
Do you think that Paul has a theme he's working there? Did you catch that at all? Seven times he reminds us that we are not alone. We have been given the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit will guide us into the right field for us, will teach us, empower us, equip us, and direct us as we go. That's a whole lot to have on your side, isn't it? The important part, I think, is to remember, ministry is never going to be about what you bring. Sorry to break it to you. Ministry will always be about what you've already been given to share. It isn't about what you bring. Just be willing and see what God does. Let me head back into chapter 12, picking it up at verse 12. It says, The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Listen to this. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Doesn't that just sort of sweep all of our excuses to the side and all of our why nots and not me's? All of the parts of the body are indispensable to what God means to do around here. So not only have you been given the Holy Spirit, but you are on a team and your part is essential. In fact, the thing I would say I've observed happen more often than not is that someone doesn't figure out what their gifts are and how to use them and then get into ministry. You get into ministry, start serving, and you start realizing and discovering, and then people around you start recognizing your gifts and saying, hey, wow, hey, wow. And then you get a sense of what your part is to play in the mission of Jesus. As pastors, do you know what part we've been given to play in the body? might not be what you're thinking. If you check Ephesians 4, our job, our part in the body, is actually to equip you for the work of the ministry. That's why we're here. And you could ask any one of the 14 pastors at this church, and we will tell you the body needs you. In fact, because you're here, that gives us good clues as to what God is looking to do through this church, because he brought you and the things you're already good at and the things you already care about. So it would be an exciting adventure to figure that out together, wouldn't it? Let's take me for example. I was around this place for about 10 years, serving in this ministry or that, leading a small group here and there, trying to find my path. It took me 10 years to find this spot on the team. And if you told me back then, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> when they asked me to become a pastor, I had so many hesitations, you guys because I made the fatal mistake of comparing myself to others. I'm not good at what he's good at, and I sure can't do what she does, and I'm not gifted the way they are. 
I missed the point entirely. My calling and my role here is specific and unique to me. And God's not surprised by who I am. He made me and called me into a very specific part to play in this body. If you've ever hung out with me for more than about, I don't know, 10 minutes, you're going to probably hear me use the phrase faith in action. I'm obsessed. All of my team at work would say, yeah, no, she really does. <laughs> right? I believe that why God brought me here is to help you put your faith in action. That's why I'm here. That's why I helped create our community partnerships. They are so you have many spaces and places to put your faith in action. The food share ministry, same thing, faith in action. So I'm getting clearer all the time about why God has picked me to be here. My question is, what part has God brought you here to play? No part is indispensable. We are all needed. We are all essential. So may I share with you a few fields I see from where I stand where the workers are few and the harvest is ripe? I actually believe, you guys, that some of you are going to be sent by the Father into these very fields. I do. Got a text from the director at the Agape Shelter the other day. She said she's got a group of ladies who'd like to learn to sew, both as a personal skill and also possibly as a micro-business. I'm wondering whose field that is. It sure ain't mine. I can't sew a button. <laughs> Four of our community partners have actually asked me if there is a CTKer that would serve on their board to champion their work, provide input, and support their staff. They're looking for our voice to be part of their leadership team. Is that your field? And then I didn't even know there was such a thing as a walking bus. You know what that is? Boys and Girls Club said they need grown-ups to take kids from Roosevelt Elementary School and walk them to the Bellingham Club after school every day. Is that your field? And I'll tell you this, the next generation, our young people, is a field that is ripe for seed sowing. I mean, who's going to show them Jesus' love and then teach them how to love him back? Our kids and student ministry folks think about this all the time. They spend their days, their nights, their weekends in that field, and they would love to have you join them and Jesus in that field. Our safety team still needs five to ten more people to have eyes on when we're all in the building so that they pay attention to the details we don't have to. And then there's pick and picnic. Uh, we have a farm, if you didn't know that, and there are three acres that are just bulging with vegetables right now that aren't gonna pick themselves. And we have dozens of partners ready to give those veggies away, but we could use your help. We have spots for 10 more pick and picnic groups. What's well, pick and picnic? It's you, 10 friends, bring a picnic, eat it, pick some veggies. That would be really helpful, and you can find that information on our website. And then last but not least, probably the thing that's got me most excited, I went on sabbatical for three months during the spring, completely missed something called Rooted. We had 40-some groups go through this curriculum called Rooted, and when I got back, there were stories all over the place, stories of spiritual growth, of new life in Christ, of meaningful connections and friendships started, and 34 service projects got done in our community by these groups. Pretty cool. Thanks, Lord. So we're going to actually try and start a set of rooted groups again this fall because we would love to see those things happening all the time around here. But it take, turns out it takes someone to lead those groups for them to get off the ground. They don't just magically materialize. So wondering who's called to that field. But now I think is as good a time as any to ask the obvious question. 
If God's so busy and he's up to all of that, what keeps us out of the field? Like the chief priests in our parable, what prevents us from entering the kingdom of God right now? We've sort of talked about how we disqualify ourselves, right? All of those sorts of things. And that really comes down to, do you believe him when he says, you are not alone. You have the spirit, you have a team, pastor coaches, and unique gifting. Okay, that aside, really, doesn't it just come down to a matter of priorities? I'm pretty sure every single one of us could make a solid case that we're too busy, that we're too busy. And to that I would say, what if your next act of loving worship is to make time? What if you were to ask Jesus, what needs to go in my schedule and in my life to make room for the kingdom? The kingdom that has come and is coming. So I'd like to invite you to practice this with me right, right now. Permission? Take your phones out in the middle of church. Let's do it. Everybody? Phones? Dig in the purse? Grab your phones. You can do it. If you're at home, uh, grab your device if that's how you keep track of your schedule. Uh, if it's the calendar on the wall in the kitchen, go grab that. You have a minute. Let's actually enter into a little bit of practice here together using our schedules. I want you to take a look at next week, this coming week. See if you can't find 30 minutes, one half of one hour. Can you find 30 minutes to read the book of James? It'll only take you 30 minutes to read five chapters, my favorite book in the Bible, that is all about vineyard work. Can we do it? Just set aside 30 minutes and see if God doesn't want to have a good conversation with you over a five-chapter book. Now, if you don't have a Bible, I want to make sure you know if you're here in the building, just stop by reception. We've got Bibles for you. Uh, if you're online, just call the church on Monday morning and we will get one to you. We don't want anybody left out. So that was actually a warm-up. What's it a warm-up for? Turns out this weekend is exactly six weeks until Labor Day. Can you believe it? We are going to hit fall season officially in six weeks. And what I sincerely believe God asked me to come here today to say to you on his behalf is just this. Sons and daughters, go this fall into the vineyard and work. Sons and daughters, go into the vineyard and work this fall. Does that make you uncomfortable? Does it pique your curiosity? Are you excited that he picked you? What I need you to know, guys, this is not a guilt trip, and I am not looking to twist your arm. God knows what he has for you. I don't. In fact, it's not even my request. It's between you and him. But what I do know is that the Father wouldn't send you unless it's good. And I do know Jesus is already in the field, busy, and he'd love for you to join him. That much I know. And I think there's a little bit that we can do as pastors here to help you. So let me describe how we'd like to attempt to help you. Uh, if you came in the building today, hopefully you snagged one of these. If not, you can head to info.ctk.church. If you're at home, same thing. Info.ctk.church, you'll find something that says, what's my ministry? Do you guys mind clicking into that so we can take a look at this together, please? 
The first step's a baby step. It's one you can all completely ace. What is your name? Who are you? And then you'll find you have two options, the two sides of the card. The first option is for those who are already in ministry, whether you would call it that or not. You're already saying yes to meeting the needs of others with the resources and abilities you've been given. You're a caregiver, a social worker, a teacher, a coach, a police officer, a counselor, a foster parent. I could go on, you get the point, right? Where has God already placed you? And all that's needed is for you to recognize that what you're already busy doing could be kingdom work if you chose to intentionally partner with God as you did it. Think of the power of that, you guys. There's nothing incidental about the life you're living right now. God has you where he means to use you. All that's missing is for you to turn towards that and say yes. If that's the case, I'm wondering if you would allow me and the other pastors here to come alongside you to find out more about your ministry, to better equip you to partner with God in those spaces, to encourage you and to pray with you. If you'd fill out that first option or the first side of the card, let us know about your ministry, and then we'll be in touch. And in the meantime, read the book of James. The other side of the card, or the second option online, is for those of you not currently in ministry. Maybe you've never tried it before. Or maybe you used to be, and life or COVID got in the way. Maybe you're completely burned out on serving. But if right now you're sensing the Father calling you into the vineyard for this fall, my question is, how will you answer him? Or maybe a better question would be, what has to change in your heart or in your schedule for you to make good on that answer? Remember the second son from our story? Yeah, no problem. Never saw him. If there are other things you and Jesus need to work through first, I honor that. Have those conversations. But if you're ready to move things around and make some space for the kingdom, then I encourage you to just choose one of the areas that we sort of outlined. That's just your best guess at where you'd like to try first. Again, I, I tried all sorts of things figuring this out. No harm in that. And then know that we will get back to you and we will talk that through with you and we will help you figure out a good place to get started. In the meantime, read the book of James. And I would be remiss if I didn't say there's a third option, a very real third option that isn't on either form. When I read you Matthew's description of Jesus' ministry, do you remember who he saw? The sick, the harassed, the helpless? the sheep without a shepherd. Maybe today the Lord's invitation to you is to receive ministry. And if that's the case, can I ask you to overcome your pride and tell us. Tell us what's on your heart. Go to prayer.ctk.church and tell us what's going on in your life. We would love to pray for you, but also a pastor would like to reach out and pray with you. You're not alone. You're part of the team. So let's have a quick moment of realistic expectations here. If five of you respond, we will call you up this week, no problem. If 500 of you respond, you're gonna have to be patient because <laughs> there are nine of us working on this and that's just a reality. So if that is the case, 
Praise the Lord, he's doing something I couldn't conceive of. But be patient with us. And maybe even in a couple of weeks, call us back and let us know you haven't changed your mind. That'd be helpful. And in the meantime, read the book of James. The other thing we probably need to acknowledge is that we're right in the middle of rebuilding the ministry that happens here around the church after all that COVID has brought us and will bring us. I'm so thankful for hundreds of you that took our survey earlier this summer and kind of helped us start to shape what it might look like to belong and be this church in the future. Uh, another set of a couple hundred of you were willing to meet with us and actually dialogue about that. That has been so helpful. We are learning, we are listening, and there's much more to learn. But we think we've got a few clues as to things we'd like to start or restart this fall, and it's not gonna happen with just those of us who are on staff. God wouldn't design it that way in the first place. So some of you are called into those fields. And we can't wait to hear about that and to discover that with you. So I'm going to give you just a quick minute to spend some time with your form and with Jesus in hopes that you will recognize the ministry space you're already in or you might hear his nudge into a new field. And then I'm going to pray for you. Lord of the harvest, King Jesus who has gone before, I trust you completely with every person hearing the sound of my voice right now. I trust you to draw near as they draw near to you. I trust you to speak truth that is exactly what they need in this moment. I trust you not to throw anybody in the deep end, because you never do. Lord, I pray that folks would be brave enough to wrestle with you, brave enough to hear your voice, to ask their questions, to work through their why nots and not me's, and to join you in the field. I'm gonna thank you in advance, Lord, for not only what that means you'll be able to do in this world through us, but for all of the very real good things that that means you will be able to do in us. It is such a privilege to be invited into ministry with you. It is such an honor to be part of your kingdom. And it is deeply precious to be your kids, sharing in the inheritance of that kingdom. Thank you for every person you've drawn to CTK. Thank you for your reasons for that, that they understand and the ones they don't yet see. Thank you for the beautiful, messy thing that you are doing here in our body. We love you and we trust you. Help us to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen.